Good morning. Good morning. Scripture this morning is out of Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 13. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you uh, that you have brought us together to worship this morning. I thank you that you are the God of Israel, that you are the same today as you were then. I thank you that you made a covenant with your people then and you delivered them and you make that same promise to us today to deliver us. Thank you for your son, that you have made an avenue of salvation for us, that you would deliver us through Jesus. And I would just pray that we would turn our lives to you, that you would fill this place with your spirit and fill each of us with your spirit and just lead us wherever we're at, that you would meet us, um, whether we are dealing with any fear or doubt or sorrow or pride, that we would turn to you, that we would seek you first and foremost, and that you would meet us and lead us, and that in that time, and as we grow in that, that it would glorify you, that we would worship you and make holy your name, and we would see the fruitfulness and goodness in that. So in your name we pray, amen. Thank you, John. You can take a seat. Good morning. The Alphas can be dismissed to go to the back, and we will be in John 15 this morning as we finish up that chapter, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Well, if you're like me... You might not have the greatest memory. Kristen likes to make fun of me because I remember random things, but I forget important things. So I, I remember sermons that I heard 12 to 15 years ago in the three points, but I can't remember the three point things that Kristen asked me to get from the grocery store while I'm in Lebanon. My dad gives me the hard, a hard time because I would always forget family birthdays. He is really big on this, and I would forget my grandparents. And it's funny, though. I remember random kids I grew up with birthdays, but I can forget important family members' birthdays. I've messed up some of your guys' names in this room, but I can remember the name of all of my teachers that I've ever had in my life. Me memory's an interesting thing, is it not? Churches, they use liturgies oftentimes to help remember dates. Churches use catechisms to help remember theological truths, like we're using the New City Catechisms. Churches use scripture to help embed scripture into our minds. 
Our memories are weak, and we often need reminders. And so this morning, Jesus gives us some things that we need to remember, but he also gives us the tools to do so. So our main point this morning in John 15, starting in verse 18 through 16, verse 4, is to remember. Following Jesus has consequences and heartache, but it also has great comfort and hope. So before we look at our passage, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your son and his teaching that he gave to his disciples in this room that evening, that it could be applied to our lives this morning here in 2022 in Vermont. God, would you speak your voice through my mouth, that your sheep would hear and obey and follow, and we would all worship you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's pick up in John 15, verse 18. Jesus is continuing this upper room discourse. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world... But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Even if they persecuted me, they will also persecute me. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Just keep your main finger there. So if we think about the gospel, we will be well received in communicating it by the world. Or if we think about, or sorry, let me rephrase that. If we think that we will be well received by the world around us when we communicate the gospel, we would all agree, right? We are in for a big surprise. And so Jesus wants to remind the disciples to have them remember why they will suffer in the days ahead after they leave this room, as they go about their day-to-day -day lives, as they are sent out into the word, the world. The word if is mentioned six times in seven verses. If you follow Jesus, there are consequences. The consequences are hatred in verse 18. And we'll start too with a lack of love in verse 19. Jesus says they hated him first. This is the same Word that is used in John 3.16. This world, this world, this cosmos will hate you. It's the same world that God so loved that he gave his son, as we saw in John 3.16. Sometimes the world responds in belief, like you and I sitting here in this room. Sometimes the world responds in hate. Some of the world will remain branches and not bear fruit like we saw last week, when rather hatred will bear fruit on those branches. Jesus knows the future. He knows the hatred towards him will increase even more. He will be crucified. And the hate that he received will continue to be directed towards his disciples as they leave this room. Jesus says the hate is because we love others by sharing the gospel with them. Because the disciples, we follow God's word. As he calls us to go and make disciples, the world will hate us for obeying and following and sharing the gospel with others. The root for this hate is because disciples listen and disciples obey. We saw last week, obeying proves who true disciples are. True disciples will be hated, and true disciples will be persecuted. 
Another reason for the persecution that Jesus says is because of the relationship with them. He chose them. And so they hate us because of it. Disciples, we have our loyalty in heaven by the gracious and providential hand of the Father as He elects us as sons and daughters. And that's where our loyalties lie. That's why we obey. And that's why disciples are persecuted. Jesus is eliminating the surprise factor. So when we were moving here, many of you tried to eliminate the surprise factor. You'd ask us the question, well, you know it's cold here, right? You have a jacket. I was like, yeah, I got a sweatshirt. It's fine. No, 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 no. You need a jacket. I got one of those too. You're like, well, does it have down in it? Oh, you wanted to eliminate the surprise factor for our family when we came here. So don't be surprised, Aaron and Kristen, that it's cold here. Christian, don't be surprised when persecution happens. Before Jesus goes to the cross, he calls the disciples to live a certain way. The world will hate you. They will hate these disciples. They will hate you, Cornerstone Church. The world doesn't love Jesus. They will not love you, Jesus is saying. They will persecute him just as in a few hours they will persecute, or sorry, they will persecute him in just a few hours. They will persecute these disciples in the days ahead. So Jesus wants them to remember these words. Remember, following Jesus has consequences and heartbreak. The world hates God's new family. It's this, not the picture of the world that we live in today. The world doesn't love God. Just consider the first few chapters of the Bible in Genesis. I think these help shed some light on some of the challenges that we face in our world today. The world hates God as creator, this moral being, this moral creator. Because if there was no moral creator, all sin would be permissible. The world loves their sin, but God doesn't permit them. Therefore, the world hates it when they're told they cannot sin. And they hate us too for mentioning that. The world hates God's creation, especially His most important creation. It's actually our New City Catechism for week four. God created men and women in His image with dignity, value, and worth. And the world doesn't believe that we are created in God's image. Therefore, the world doesn't care about preserving the pinnacle of creation from womb to tomb. An example of this, my, my dog killed a chicken last week. I went outside, I was pretty bummed, and I threw it in the dumpster. Not the dog, the chicken. <laughs> Chickens aren't created in God's image. In a few weeks, our friends in Ludlow will be hosting a day of events related to the Lordship of Christ over all things, including the protection of the unborn. And it's in the bulletin. It'd be great if some of us could go down there. But there's a difference between animals and men and women created in God's image. The world doesn't desire to protect life like God does. We haven't even left Genesis 2. How about men and women created separately, purposefully, intentionally, to model the covenantal relationship that God has with His church in marriage? We hear all the time, there's no such thing as male or female. It can change. It's whatever one identifies as. Well, when we stand up for marriage or we stand up for how God created the world, the world hates us for it because they hate God for not approving the way that they want to go about their sinful choices. 
That's just three ways the world hates, and we haven't even left the first three chapters of Scripture. But I think those three areas are of greatest importance of the world's hatred towards us today in 2022. But most importantly, the world hates us because of our proclamation of the gospel, where God created the world with order, a certain way and as God he punishes sin for deviating from this order for going against his law and he has to punish sin but the gospel God sends his son to die in our place on the cross for those sins where we don't walk in that former way anymore we walk in this new way of Christ and the gospel changes everything and the world hates that most of all because if we don't approve with what the world wants, approving their autonomy over their body or their choice, it comes across as hate. And hate is then reciprocated towards the church. The world's hate is driven by Satan, his first and greatest lie in the garden. If you remember, did God really say? And church, our response should always be, yes, he did. Remember though, heed the counsel don't love the world, even if it means that you will receive the hate that Jesus received when he was crucified and it's directed towards you. John says this in his first letter written after this gospel. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all of this, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Some words we saw last week. The world hates Jesus. The world will hate us. And it already does. I would say the world's hate with us right now is probably more like a frown. Like, oh, I just disapprove what they do. It's not very intense. No one persecuted us yesterday when we had the booth at the Forward Festival. They just wanted their kids to get their face painted and it was great. What's the worst that happens to us today? A bad review? It can get worse. It probably will get worse. Remember, following Jesus has consequences and heartbreak. Friends, let's not be surprised if and when this happens. Jesus says in verse 20, Remember, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, which they did, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, and they didn't, they will obey yours. So, of course, they won't. We are called to humbly serve like Jesus. We aren't greater than Jesus. Positions of power are unbecoming for Jesus' servants. A disdain for humble service is also an unbecoming posture for God's people as well. And so let's allow our light to shine and jumble, or sorry, excuse me, let's allow our light to shine because that's what Jesus did. And so we remember, it's not always going to be going well for us in the process. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his 11 disciples. Judas has left the room. He's giving them his last words of teaching before he goes to the cross. Were those who preach Jesus' gospel and live in conformity to it, to his life and his teaching, they will attract the same sort of antagonism that Jesus did. We have to remember that. Jesus wanted the disciples to remember, and he wants us to remember as well. So consider how you're persecuted today. If we aren't persecuted, 
Maybe that's telling as well. Let's not be jerks. Let's be ambassadors of Jesus. Are we persecuted because of our social media complaints? Are we ridiculed because of the world we king we either want or we don't want sitting in the Oval Office? Are you persecuted because we submit to the king of the universe and humbly serve like he does? Or are we just persecuted because we speak up and boldly declare the gospel? Are we hated because of our love for Jesus and how we follow him? Or are we just liked because no one even really knows that we love and serve and follow Jesus in our communication as we boldly proclaim who he is and live a life according to how he called us to live? I don't know anyone persecuted like the men in the scriptures will eventually be. Stoned like Stephen, thrown off the top of the temple like James, crucified upside down like Peter or John, who wrote this gospel, his beloved disciple, boiled alive. That's persecution. Paul tells Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus has consequences and heartbreak. Remember that. Jesus gives the disciples a reason for the heartache. We'll see in the next section a newsflash. It's because of him. Look with me at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not gone among them, done among them the works that I also did, excuse me, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and my father. But the word that is is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Jesus says that the persecution is because of him, because of what he has said, because of what he has done and will do. The world hates us because of his name, or in other words, they hate us because of him and what he has done. I've personally never received a letter from the IRS that I'm going to be audited. I couldn't think of any other news that would be bad that come in the mail. We don't receive a lot of mail these days. But I wouldn't go chase down the mailman and say, how dare you send me this letter and give me this letter from the IRS? The world doesn't like the messages, but they take out their anger on the messengers. Persecution happens because of Jesus' name, what he has done for us. What he has done makes the gospel truly good news, saving us from our sin, the bad news, and the consequences of it. It's the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The consequences of sin, the bad news, and the world hates that. Jesus has already shown us in this gospel what his name, what Jesus' name does. A couple examples. John 1, verse 12. But to me, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus' name allows us to become children of God. But it also saves us from the wrath of God. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
We become children of God. We are saved from the wrath of God. And we get to share that good news about the goodness of God so others can believe. John wrote this gospel for this purpose. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we've read it a lot of times, you may have life in what? His name. That's why this gospel was written, so that we may believe and others may believe as well. But it's not always going to be received well. Following Jesus' consequences and heartbreak. Is it worth it? Jesus says the world has no excuse because of his words in verse 22. And the world also has no excuse because of his works in 24. Jesus doesn't say they are not guilty of sin in general, for we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're guilty of their unjustified hate because of what he has said and what he has manifested and done for them and what they have seen. They hate Jesus and the Father, and friends, they hate us because we are in the family. Jesus coming inside of the severest and most deadly sin in the world, the unforgivable sin of rejecting God forever. The Bible calls this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, the world around us has no excuse when we share Jesus' words and we share Jesus' works as well. And the reason for this heartache is in order that God's word might be fulfilled. Jesus quotes here at Psalm 69, verse 4, that the word of God shows us our need for a Savior. We share the word of God. We display the works of God. And when we do this, the true sheep respond in faith. But those who aren't sheep, they hate it. And imagine Jesus just stopping there without any hope. The days ahead, folks, are going to be hard. Sounds like watching the news today, right? I don't care what station you watch or what website you go to. They are all extremely, extremely pessimistic. Not even related to politics, they're depressing. The word choice that our news services use today is just hopeless. This morning, I opened up a wide array of news services. Here's where some of the headlines. Officials urge Florida to prepare for a major hurricane. This type of rhetoric is extremely dangerous to our nation. New York City buildings are littered with dead lanternflies. The rest of the U.S. could be next. You want that piano, right? Dun, dun, dun. I don't even know what a lanternfly is. I'm sure Chance does. This is another one. This war will bring down Putin. It's just extreme and pessimistic. The world provides no hope. Jesus doesn't leave them without hope, though. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Jesus calls a man, he bids him, Come and die. We are dead men and women walking. And if we are dead, what else could happen to us? Paul says to the Philippian church, To live is Christ, to die is gain. And so Jesus lives us with hope. Remember that. Look at verse 26 for the first means of this comfort and hope. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
Friends, our comfort comes from the Holy Spirit. When you go through times of trial, the Holy Spirit will help you. The ESV translate this Greek word paraclete as the helper. But this word can also be translated as the comforter. This is the comfort embodied as God himself. The Spirit is not a force. He is a real, personal being, God himself dwelling within us as his people. He is the Spirit of truth, the Spirit that is characterized by truth, the Spirit who reminds us of truth, the Spirit who comforts us in a world full of lies to live in truth. And he reminds us of what we see in our passage this morning. We see the significant relationship between the members of the Trinity. Again, this theology of the Trinity gets developed more and more throughout this Gospel of John, where the Son sends the Spirit from the Father, the Spirit proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit bears witness about the Son. This proceeding of the Spirit is the same idea, the Son being forever begotten by the Father. The Father and the Son both send the Spirit. In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds the church of their old life in sin, their death following Satan, being dead in their sins. And in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul changes the tune. And he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, he sent his son. This is the same abrupt transition that we see here. You're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. The world is going to hate you. But... The Spirit will come and help you. The Spirit sheds light on the truth of Jesus' revelation, God's Word. The Spirit sheds light on the works of Jesus on our behalf. It's not about remembering the content of the Gospel. The Spirit reminds us of the implications and our need for the Gospel. Friends, the Gospel itself is the only hope we have. It can never be taken away from us. A few weeks ago, we saw as Jesus began this teaching time, after he washed his disciples' feet, the first words of John 14, if you're seeing that in the scripture, Jesus started this time by saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I personally hate it when I go out to my barn to get something, and by the time I get out there, I forget what I even went out there to get. I was distracted by whatever. And how easily we forget, friends, the promises of God and the hope that we have in Him. The Spirit helps us personally to remember. God Himself dwells in us, transforming our minds, changing our hearts, reminding us of what we know as true and where our hope is. And when you're left out to family gatherings because you stick up for the name of God, it's okay. When you're left out of conversations at work because you don't want the name of Christ to be defamed, it's okay. When you're left out of your friend group because you call out sin and people to repentance and they don't invite you over to the supper or barbecue anymore, it's okay. It'll happen. Jesus wants us to remember it's okay because we have great comfort. Persecution can be subtle, but you will bear witness, as we see in verse 27. The Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words and actions. This persecution doesn't always mean pitchforks and torches on fire outside of the building. Persecution can happen even in the church. When we call out sin or we perform church discipline, sometimes hate is returned. 
Jesus' response for church discipline in Matthew 18 is to treat people who don't repent like unbelievers. Which kind of makes sense now, doesn't it? If they hate it, maybe they aren't believers to begin with. Discipline should lead to repentance, right? Ask any parent. It's not about excommunication. It's about correction, changing our habits and our actions to be in line with the Scripture. It's about correction before anything gets worse and gets far down the path of destruction. And the Spirit empowers us, and He continues to help us. We saw last week that those who abide in Christ will bear witness to who Jesus is and what He has done. Those who abide in Christ will be persecuted. Those who abide in Christ will be hated. But those who abide in Christ will get the Spirit to comfort us, to remind us of the truths of God's Word, what Jesus has done on our behalf. In the midst of our heartaches, because we follow Jesus, friends, there's great comfort, and there's great hope. And following Jesus. The helper, the comfort us, the comforter, he will help us move forward. And we'll jump into chapter 16. It starts off as we close with some reasons why Jesus shares this with us to help us remember and be comforted. Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I've said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. There is great comfort in the Word of God as well. The greatest danger for the disciples, for us, for these disciples that are confronted by opposition to the world is not death. It's apostasy. It's abandoning the faith, which shows the person that they were never really a Christian or a believer to begin with. We all have that fishing story, right? Where I was out fishing and I got this fish and I had it, but it got away. It slipped out of my hands. That's not the kind of falling away that Jesus is talking about here. John 10, 29. My Father, who has given them, which is the disciples, to me, is greater than all, that no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He holds us fast. Or John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This helper, this spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 1, is the guarantee. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Friends, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. The Spirit gets us to the end. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew's gospel because lawlessness, lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus calls us to remember so that we can endure, and he helps us to endure by the power of the Spirit. Endurance is a proof of true discipleship, but so is obedience. Not everyone who follows is truly saved. Jesus says in Matthew 7, of the, after listing off all of these things that these folks have done in his name, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And I don't say that to scare you. 
we saw last week how we know who true disciples are, those who hear the voice, follow the shepherd, who abide in the word, who abide in him. The word abides in us. We glorify God and those who follow God's word, it says last week, prove to be my disciples. We can only see the outside from our perspective, but Jesus knows the heart. The test of your heart's genuineness is your endurance to the end. And endurance is hard, especially in the face of persecution. But the Spirit, friends, helps us to get there. There's a threat of being kicked out of the synagogue, as we see in the passage, which would probably be concerning for these Jewish folks, right? The parents of the boy who was healed in John chapter 9, not only were the parents concerned about being kicked out of the synagogue, but the boy was in his response. And these words of Jesus, which help us, it's the spirit of truth who will help us to remember that which is true as we abide in Christ. And many will think that they're crusaders for serving God and their persecution. We see in verse 2, Paul himself was the chief of sinners because he realized that he was the one who persecuted the church of God, he says, violently, trying to destroy it. Persecution happens because the world doesn't know the Father. And it happens even within the church. Jesus is our models for us how to respond, how to be submitted to the Father, because our hope is in Him. And our hour is coming, He says. These words are to be a comfort themselves. Jesus says, He is the I Am, so don't be scared. Fear not, for I am with you. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But life following Jesus is hard. Remember our hope. In the face of persecution, some think that denouncing Jesus may be worth it. Fickle faith gives us permission to renounce everything for being treated like Jesus. We don't like persecution. I am personally averse to pain. But we are called to follow Jesus. Church, it's worth it. Don't give up. Endure. And we get to do this together. The days ahead might be hard, they might be harder, and they might get harder. But the reason why Jesus is so explicit on these matters is so that per when persecution does break out, the disciples won't be taken by surprise and thus be tempted to abandon their faith, to abandon and go apostate. True disciples, they hear the shepherd's voice. They follow him. They abide in him. They abide in the word. We abide in the gospel. They won't give in to it. That doesn't mean we won't stumble at times or sin, but it's about the end. Will we endure? Jesus was with him. He's with us now. He's in us now. The Spirit dwells within us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. Jesus has taught these disciples in this room. He has taught us. He sends them the Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us. And I'll close with Paul's charge to the Romans. I think this is a great application and final charge to us as a church as we close out our time from Romans chapter 8. It's God's words, much better than mine. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things?
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You pray with me. Father, we thank you. When we forget, when we stumble, when we stray off the path, we thank you that you found us first. You'll find us again. God, when we remember these truths, our natural response is that of worship and humility. And so, God, we ask you to help us to worship you in song in response to this word. God, thank you that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And God, as Paul called us to remember where we've come from, that we were at one time separated from Christ, he also says to forget what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. God, help us to remember the gospel. Help us to remember all that Jesus suffered on our behalf for our joy, for your glory. And God, help us to endure. Help us to persevere. Help us to help each other, to love one another, to do that which is most important because we desire to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. God, thank you for your spirit who leads and guides us and makes it possible. Thank you for this church that we get to walk in these things together. Would you help us? together to make it to the end. We thank you that no one can ever snatch us from your hand and you never cast us out. Let us rest in these truths.